Amen. Let's turn in our Bibles now to Revelation chapter 6. As we're moving through the book of Revelation, we've seen over the last couple of weeks the scene in heaven as God is being worshipped, the beauty of his throne room, and, and then the issue of the necessity to take what's happening in heaven and to bring it to earth, to, to fix that which has been damaged among people and on this planet. But remember, it's going to be ugly during much of the book of Revelation as we see this unfold because God created the earth to give it as a gift to people. And when he gave it to people, he gave them responsibility to tend it, to take care of each other. But people have chosen ever since Genesis 3 to do things that are destructive of others, to do things that are destructive to the environment and in every way possible to sin against everything that God had entrusted. And so what we have in this time called the tribulation period, this seven-year period that Daniel had predicted way back in the book of Daniel, Jesus talked about it in Matthew 24 and other places, um, was this time, this period, when ultimately God would let go and let people finally suffer all of the consequences of the choices that they are making. And so judgment would come as a, as a natural result of choices that people have made. And the only way that God could rectify the problems on the planet, the problems with people, would be to finally tell them, here you go. And that's what we see happening as these seals are open. Now, through the book of Revelation, you have a sequence of judgments that happen. And the ones that we're going to look at today, the first six of the seven seal judgments, um, this scroll is unrolled and these events are taking place. And it describes, for the most part, the first three and a half years or so of the tribulation period. And, and so these things are happening, but the seventh seal becomes seven trumpets. And the seventh trumpet becomes seven bowls all together, all of these things are lined up as a way of God taking care once and for all of everything that's messed up down here and bringing his kingdom down to earth. And so here in chapter 6, we see this event where John observes the scrolls being open. And what you see for the most part, see, our world, we can tell it's broken. We can tell there are problems here. But the truth is God is also working in a unique way to keep a lid on things. And he uses his people in order to do that. And so 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 talks about the time when the one who is restraining things is taken out of the way. And then all hell breaks loose. And so what you see is, and I believe it's partly the result of Christians being taken from the world in what's called the rapture of the church, the snatching away, the taking up, that then as the Holy Spirit indwelling the believers is taken out of the way, the scroll, the scroll begins to unwind and events are taking place that are going to ultimately, though they're awful, they're going to end up fixing what's wrong. Now, you'll see in the ones that we see today, these six scrolls, uh, six seals, um, many of these are definitely things that are going on today, but, but in this case, to much greater proportions. But it, 
causes some people to believe and that the rapture of the church will come at the middle of the tribulation or before the the last three and a half years, which are called the Great Tribulation, um, some people see it that way. People can see it all different ways. Um, the way I read it, because of the fact that the church is seen in chapters 2 and 3, and then when the scene goes up to heaven, now the church is never mentioned again. Um, and the fact that if your understanding of the tribulation period is that it is that final seven years that Daniel predicted back in Daniel chapter 9 of God dealing with Israel again, then it, it makes sense that the rapture takes place at the beginning. But if, if, you, if you're a lover of Jesus, if you've given your life to him, even if you are mid-trib or pre-wrath, don't worry, you're going when we all go, and, and I, I think that's going to be at the beginning of the tribulation period. Now, again, I want to acknowledge that none of these things are cut and dried and easy because there are really good people who believe not even in a premillennial thing. They, are, they believe there isn't really a millennial reign or people who believe in a post-trib rapture, all kinds of ideas, and, and you, know, you have every right to be wrong and I'll still love you um, for holding to those views. <laughs> no, the, it, I don't want to act flippant about it, really. I'm teasing. Um, it isn't always easy. But what we see here, if in fact this is a future prediction, which it would totally seem, if you just read the book of Revelation, Everyone, from the very beginning, the idea is always this is a future prediction. Now there are people now who look back and they may say, no, I don't think that was a prediction. There are people called preterists who believe that, that all of these prophecies were fulfilled in the first century. Now, when they started this idea and they, they read it and they go, this sounds a lot like 70 AD when the temple was destroyed by the Romans. And you, when you look at it, yeah, there are some similarities there. In fact, there are similarities to things that happened before with Antiochus Epiphanes, even before the time of Christ. However, when Jesus talked about the tribulation in Matthew 24, he definitely said that it was future to them. So that has to eliminate Antiochus Epiphanes. But, and then here John, and we know now what a lot of people didn't know earlier, and that is that the book of Revelation was written in the 90s AD, probably 95 to 98 AD. So for it to seem so predictive, but if it was describing something that happened 20-some years before, that seems a little weird. So I would kind of reject the, the uh, preterist position on that basis. To me, it seems like this is something that is happening future, as we saw before. It's after these things, metatauta. You have the church, and then you have, here's what comes next. And when you read it, it definitely has that kind of a ring to it. But let's look at these six seals. By the way, ultimately, the whole picture, what it really is, and, and uh, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, there are two kinds of people in the world. They're kind of people who say, Lord, thy will be done, and the other types of people to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. And that's really true. Either you say, God, you do what you want, or God will say to you, you know what? You do what you want and face the consequences. And so the book of Revelation, ultimately, when you read about these judgments, keep this in mind. As you see, oh, awful things are happening. This is simply God saying, have it your way. 
when that Burger King slogan came out in the 70s. Everybody loved it because up until that point, you went to a fast food restaurant, you had to take it exactly the way that they give it to you. I remember one time getting so frustrated because I was in McDonald's and I wanted a quarter pounder, but I wanted them to put the secret sauce from the Big Mac on it. And they told me, oh, we can't do that. And I said, give me one reason why you can't do that. They said, liability. I said, for one thing, you guys have a liability problem that goes way beyond putting the wrong sauce on a burger. But, but they said, no, but we'd never tested the quarter pounder with the secret sauce, and therefore we can't vouch for its safety. <laughs> it's kind of like when I go to Israel and I have, you know, I have a hankering for a cheeseburger, and because of the kosher laws, they, they won't serve cheese on a hamburger, so I have to go in one place and buy a hamburger, go in another place and buy cheese pizza, take the cheese off the pizza, <laughs> stick it in the hamburger, and I got my cheeseburger. But what people loved about Burger King was, finally, somebody will do it the way I want it done. Well, ultimately, that's the picture of the tribulation, and we see it so strongly here in the sixth chapter with the seal judgments. God saying, okay, this is what you want, this is what you get. I'm going to let you play this thing out. This is your world. I have given you certain freedoms and privileges. Now you're going to find out where they lead when I stop protecting you from yourself. And so that's kind of what's going on here. Now the first four seals are called the four horsemen of the apocalypse because each of these judgments is seen as uh, a person riding a horse. And so beginning with verse 1, chapter 6, I saw when the lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud, with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold. Now notice it doesn't say I read. So the scroll's opening, but it's probably a big screen TV of some sort because he's never, he never says he read what it said. The scroll's open, and the, and the angel says, look at it. And he goes, I looked, and this is what I saw, a white horse. Now, right away, you go, oh, white horse. It's got to be good guys, right? Good guys ride white horses. Jesus later comes back on a white horse with a sword. There are reasons to believe this isn't Jesus. You don't think he's Jesus just because he's riding a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow. Kind of interesting. Usually a warrior on a, on a horse is going to be carrying a big spear um, or a sword of some kind. Um, not easy to shoot bow and arrows from a horse. Not only that, he's got a bow, but he doesn't even have any arrows. So that tells us something about this leader. When Jesus comes back, he has a sword. And he also has a crown that was given to him. He didn't earn his crown. He didn't achieve it through victory or inherit it. It was just given to him. Nobody wanted to lead, so he got to. He got the crown kind of artificially, like people who go buy trophies and then put them on their shelves. <laughs> and it says, he went out conquering and to conquer. This guy wants to win. This guy wants to, and it really, although he isn't a real military leader, he doesn't even have weapons, yet he wants to win at all costs. And he's going out conquering and to conquer. He wants to win just to win. Now, again, there are people who have believed in, and who you believe this rider is on the horse can determine all of your eschatology later. 
Um, those who would say that this is Jesus when he came, then they put us into this position and this situation already. Um, but we know from Matthew, when Jesus taught on this, we know, which Matthew 24 follows uh, chapter 6 here really closely in, in so many respects. We also, though, know from Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to see it later in the book of Revelation, that there is a world leader who is coming. We typically call him the Antichrist, the instead of Christ. And he's artificial. So you'd expect Jesus is predicted to come on a white horse with a sword. This guy comes on a white horse too. But he is the leader that everyone wants. He is the leader who, because people are so fed up with things, they just go, here, why don't you lead? And he is armed not with weapons. He isn't a great soldier. He's someone who is armed with ambition. He just wants to win, like Charlie Sheen. He's just like, I'm a winner. This is what I'm doing. Now, this indicates, and, and when you read over in Daniel, you see that this world leader who comes on the stage suddenly is someone who convinces people to let him lead because there's stuff going on and somebody has to lead and nobody wants to. But he's also a guy who makes a peace pact with Israel during the first part of this um, tribulation period. And so things start out, all of a sudden this guy comes along and actually is able to achieve some sort of peace in the Middle East for a little while. Now, imagine if you could do that. Oh, that would be huge. That'd be amazing. And so somehow he's able to do it. So here he is on a white horse. He's a good-looking guy. He's a media figure. He's someone who has ambition and wants to win. And everyone has speculated, where is this guy and who is he? Because we always want to believe this time is right around the corner, and so if you could identify him as being, at one point, people thought Henry Kissinger, that's not looking so good. Um, you know, there are other people that are identified, but this guy, when it happens, you're going to know it. He's going to be a leader over the world. However, and you might think, oh, how are people going to universally accept a one-world government with one leader who's never proven himself? who's not a warrior himself? Well, think about it. Today, who are the people who are leading the world politically? Throughout all of history, it has always been people who were able to be effective as leaders in the military who end up ascending to power to lead countries. In our own country, we call our president, and his greatest responsibility is he is the commander-in-chief. He is the head of the armed forces. And so there's a reason why historically presidents have almost always, except for a few little oddities and gaps in history, they've almost always been military leaders. Because you go, I, you know, I don't want somebody sending my kid to war unless he has been willing to put his neck on the line first. But in this case, we see a guy with a bow and no arrows and apparently at this time, people value the, the appearance of someone, his, 
his uh, manners in the media and things like that. And if you look across the, the world, you see that this is definitely the case. The kind of people who are ascending to power are having power given to them because of their giftedness rather than because of their accomplishments. And we saw, not to pick on our president, who I pray for regularly and, and I desire all the best for him, but, you know, here's a guy who's never been in the military, um, not quite sure how that worked out, but he, but he didn't. Not even sure where he's born. Some people aren't. I don't know. But, but he's running against a guy who spent years in a box in Vietnam in prison because he would risk his life. Now, there's a guy, and, I, and I'm not a big McCain supporter, but you would think, okay, one guy who never served, one guy who served to the point of being tortured and, and, and he showed his character by enduring, I, who do you think ought to run the military? I don't know. But, you know, and then as you go back, I mean, this is an era where the president before him, George W., technically served in the Texas National Guard because his dad hooked him up. So he was protecting the bars in Texas during the Vietnam War. And it's like, okay, you know... And, and then before him, Bill Clinton dodged the draft, didn't go. We're seeing a pattern of people who somehow are put into a position that they haven't ordinarily paid the dues to run something. You get my drift? But this isn't just in our country. Now, by the way, the last president before Clinton to have not been a veteran, to have not served, was Franklin Roosevelt. He had polio, so he had a pretty good reason, but there were like five guys before Franklin Roosevelt who didn't serve. That's the first time that's ever happened in the history of our country, and the culmination of that was World War II, somebody who is leading us into a war that would use weapons that had never been considered before, and he's somebody who never really put his life on the line. Before that, there were only a couple presidents, John Adams, John Quincy Adams, a couple others. And other than that, we've always thought, yeah, I guess if you're in charge, you ought to have done something to get there. But in our world today, and it's getting more this way all the time, it is so ridiculously easy to get to be in charge. If you just have the right organization and some money behind you and you say the right things and you look good on camera, hey, they'll put you in charge. And that's the kind of thing, all you need to be in charge today is to have enough ambition and enough gifts. And that's what's happening in the first seal. So for it to go from the situation we have today where there are leaders all over the world who are cowards but they lead because they were ambitious. A guy like Gaddafi, yeah, he calls himself a colonel. He's, he's hiding right now with 200 young virgins all around him as a human shield. Really, that guy should run a military and make those kinds of decisions? But in the future, when especially, I believe, when you take the Christians out of the way all of a sudden and there's major problems, yeah, give us a guy who's slick, Give us a guy who looks good on camera. Give us a guy who talks, us, talks a lot about winning, and this will be awesome. And so such a leader happens. And it's right around the corner, I believe, because never before in history have you ever been able to achieve influence as to where you're in charge without ever having risked your own neck 
before in order to earn the right to do that. And so that's the first seal. So he went out, a winner who had it given to him. The second seal. He opened the second seal. I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. And there was another horse. This one was fiery red. And he went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. And the people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. Now is military conquest and conflict. War everywhere. This one ruler is not able to keep a lid on the fact that people, when left to their own devices, don't like each other. And they begin to fight with each other. That kind of violence has been with us throughout history, ever since Cain killed Abel. And there's something about people that they just want to kill each other in order to get ahead. And so after you have this great leader, things start to become unraveled and there's war everywhere, which sounds a lot like today. There's so many wars going on right now. If they were all unified, it would definitely be considered a world war. And we're fighting for things we're not even sure. We just want to win. We don't, I mean, you'd have to be delusional to believe that with what we're doing in the Middle East, somehow we are going to turn these backward countries into places like us and with freedom and they just love everyone and they love us. There's no way. That's not going to happen. You know it's not going to happen. As soon as they have a chance to have an election, they're going to vote in people who want us to die, okay? But, so why do we do it? I don't know. I mean, it's a good start to have a president who wins the Nobel Peace Prize and then gets us into our third war all at once. But, you know, what are people thinking? Now, in this time, you take away any Christian influence, the Holy Spirit's not working in the same way that he was. And war is going to break out like nothing that you've ever seen before. But by seeing how fast we can get into war right now and looking at the kinds of weapons that people have today, how hard is it to imagine this red horse coming in and just going, there's war everywhere. I don't even know which war to fight. It's like watching the Ringley Brothers Circus. There's so much going on. How's the war going? Which war? And that's, and that's the world here in the tribulation with the second seal. The third seal is opened up, verse 5. He opened the third seal and the angel said, come and check this out. And I looked and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, and don't harm the oil and the wine. The idea, um, the idea here is huge inflation and scarcity of, of food products. Um, gee, I can't imagine something like that happening in the world. You know, the, the economy crashing the way it has, and now all of a sudden the price of food, by the way, a denarius was about a day's wage. So basically they're saying one guy can work all day and you get enough wheat to be able to get enough food to barely get by on. Now what your family is supposed to eat, too bad. And otherwise... If wheat is short, you got to settle for barley, which is even worse than wheat to sustain yourself on. But the oil and the wine are fine. So you could still get, you know, fine luxury items. You just have to pay for them, and you're not going to be able to do that, most likely. You know, in a, I read a statistic that last month, 
the price of food in a month went up more than it's ever done in 36 years. Now, hmm, that's a problem if that continues. Have you looked at how much you're paying now for gasoline? Looked at how much you're paying for um, utilities, just to heat your home? Imagine living in a place where you have to run your heat all the time. And I don't know about you, my electrical bill has like tripled in the last year. Gasoline is, is through the roof as well. This is just being predicted that there's going to be this time of scarcity. And how are you supposed to pay for this stuff? How are you supposed to get your day's wage if you can't get a job? Um, last month in, in 351 metropolitan areas, unemployment increased. In only 15 metropolitan areas, unemployment decreased. Do the math. We're heading for some real disasters. And so this is what's happening in this era, exactly what we see happening today, just to a greater extent, this economy is just going to strangle people and they'll be fighting for existence. They'll just be fighting to survive. It won't be about saving for retirement, it'll be about saving for dinner. How are we going to do this? And that's what's going to be happening. Now, why does something like this happen? Is it because there's not enough food in the world? Of course not. Is it because there's not enough need for jobs in the world? Of course not. It's because of the greed of people and the mess that happens because we, we would rather throw away rotten food than to give it to somebody at a reasonable price because we have to get that inflated price on the stuff that we sell. It's like you go to a luxury hotel and you would think, hey, if you have empty rooms, sell them for cheaper. But no, because the people that paid ridiculous prices would be mad and they wouldn't pay those ridiculous prices. It's why you watch the NCAA basketball games at, over in Anaheim and the seats are half empty, but don't bother going over there and saying, oh, can I sit in one of those empty seats? It's not going to happen. Even if you all pay for parking, I'll buy a hot dog, whatever. No, because we have to balance the expenses by getting a few suckers to pay a whole bunch, and that's the way it works. Well, that's what's happening in the world. We need more and more resources because everybody wants more. And as a result, things are caving in on us. The system is collapsing. And it gets to be where a lot of people just get caught in the crossfire and can't even afford to eat and can't work if they want to in order to have jobs. Well, in this case, again, this is God saying, you know what? Let's just take off all economic control. Let's just let people do what they want. I wonder how that's going to work. And, you know, you may believe that, you know, all we need is free enterprise, supply and demand, and it'll be fine. But the truth is, and historically, that's never worked out very well for the majority of people, because they're going to demand what you have. And if they're in a position to take it, they will. And, and so here that's happening the third seal. And uh, then he goes on and says, uh, the fourth seal was open. I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come and see. And so I looked and behold, a pale horse. That's a sickly kind of greenish yellow horse. And the name of him who sat on it was death and Hades, the grave, the afterlife, followed with him. Here comes death. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill them. 
So now 25% of the population is being killed. You still think this is happening today? No, not hardly. This is what's happening today, but exaggerated hugely, um, much worse than anything that we've seen. And they're killed with sword, because of all the wars. They're killed with hunger. That is something that's destroying them. Of course, the food's so expensive, they can't get it. You know, there are 16,000 children who die of hunger every day in this world. One child dies every five seconds of hunger. That's not right. But in these days, when it's like, you know what? We're not going to tax you. You don't have to do it. You can do whatever you want. People are going to die of hunger, lots of them. And they're going to die from death. That's a bad way to go. Actually, <laughs> the word there for death is a word that refers to generally plagues or diseases and things like that. Like but the Black Plague was, was called the Black Death also. Um, and then uh, even by beasts of the earth, because if the animals, you know, they aren't being taken care of, obviously they're going to find somebody slower and weaker than they are, and, and so a lot of people are going to be victimized by animals. So this forest seal is just all kinds of death, people losing their lives. And again, with all of these categories, how many people are dying from war? How many people are dying from diseases? Diseases even that we can prevent. Others that are diseases primarily propagated by choices that people make. And, you know, choosing not to, to, to take nutrition in or choosing not to purify their water supply or not even knowing how to do it. But people are dying from all these reasons in this day that's being predicted more death more graves, more of these disasters. And so those are, those are the, um, the first four horsemen of the apocalypse, the first four seals. These judgments unfold and the earth looks bad. And again, every one of these comes because God says, okay, go ahead, have it your way. This is what, all of these things are things that we bring on ourselves by the choices that we make. Now, the fifth seal, there's a shift of gears, and it's a little different, because when the fifth seal was opened, I saw, he said in verse 9, under the altar, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So here are people who had been killed because of sharing the truth about Jesus during this time. Some people, some commentators believe that this is all martyrs who ever gave their life for their faith. Others would restrict it to just those who were killed during the tribulation. One thing I want to point out to you is that there are lots of people martyred during the tribulation, but what that also tells you is there are lots of people being saved during the tribulation. And that's the flip side of God letting people loose to do what they want, is that yes, things get worse, but it's amazing how when things get worse, people are drawn to the hope that is in Jesus. And so the worse it gets, the more people that we see during the tribulation getting saved, and it ultimately results in countless people. Now, all of these people who at one point rejected Jesus, now under pressure, they are beginning to turn to him. And this is one reason why God is allowing this last squeeze of the planet, because he desires for people to be saved. And as we see, they cried with a loud voice and they said, how long, O Lord? And it seems like a long time when you're waiting 
holy and true until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And then a white robe was given to each of them. And it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer, just take it easy, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brothers who would be killed as they were was completed. So they're like going, look, the place is being destroyed. We have been martyred. Come on. When does this get over? And they're said, calm down. Take a break. Here, I want you to wear a white robe. You're taken care of. You're forgiven. You have the righteousness of Jesus given to you. But I'm not done yet. Not because I need to give more vengeance. I'm not done because there are still some people of your brothers who haven't yet come to me and, and I want that to happen. It's the same thing that Peter says in Second Peter when he says, God isn't slack concerning his promises, some count slackness. He's patient toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The length of these judgments, and it really, it's only seven years. It's, it's a comparatively short time. But allowing things to go as long as they do in the tribulation is for the same reason primarily that he has let it go for a couple thousand years is because he wants people to get saved and people tend to get saved more when they are going through a hard time than when they are going through times of prosperity. And so the tribulation will prove that some people who would not accept Jesus when they had easy chances to go to church, nobody's going to persecute them, nobody's going to judge them, they rejected him, Finally, when they see what happens when God takes his hands off and just allows all hell to break loose, a lot of those people will go, oh boy, we need help. And that's what he's waiting for. And that's what he is doing during the tribulation. It's not just about, I'm going to punish these guys, because that can be done in a flash, literally. But what he's saying is, there are still some people who are coming here. And they're going to have to be martyred to get here, but but they're still out there, and that's why I'm waiting. You know, we sometimes, would, now we would go, yeah, the first four horsemen I can see going on, being prepared. We have them happening in our world today, and yeah, just to kick it up a notch could happen overnight easily. I can see the tribulation coming. But talking about people being martyred for their faith, we think, eh, you know, yeah, that's happened in history a lot. You know, like, gosh, in the first century when, you know, Nero would use Christians and use them as, light them on fire in his garden to use them as patio torches for his parties, and they would send Christians to the lions, and, and it's true, a lot of people have been martyred for their faith. It's estimated that since the time of Christ, since the crucifixion, 43 million people have been killed for their, no other reason than just their faith. And that's a lot. But you go, yeah, but that was more back in those days, before civil rights, before... Well, actually, out of those 43 million, 26 million of the 43 million were in the last 100 years. More Christians have been killed for their faith in the last 100 years than have been killed in all the rest of history combined. And so, yeah, this is happening today. But imagine... What happens when you have the church leaves 
And then there are some people who start to go, my friend witnessed to me, I saw a movie, I knew something, you know what this is? This is God bringing his judgment to the earth. Now, the rest of society is just going to go, I hate that message. I don't like that at all. You are siding with people who deserted us. We explained to you those people left because they're on a UFO somewhere. Or, you know, they were, they were punished because they were, they were what was standing in the way of peace. But now you're saying you're siding with them? And I'll tell you something, in a, in a society that worships tolerance, the only category of people that you, that you attack are the ones who you perceive as intolerant, the ones who are saying, this is God's judgment, there's only one way for you to get out of here, and that's by trusting Jesus. So they're not going to like that, and they're going to kill people. But that's just the result, again, of us getting what we desire. We want to design our own world, and this is what it looks like. In our own world, good people have to be sacrificed because the truth is a threat to us. In all of the nations in this world where rebellion is starting and where regimes are threatened, one of the first things they do is to shut down the Internet. And today, even in our country, there are all sorts of efforts to control what they call hate speech on the internet, or in churches even. And, you know, you're not allowed to say things against certain people. Well, you take away that freedom of speech and freedom of the press, then whoever controls the media at that point controls everything. And so the people who are punished are going to be the ones who won't play along. You see this in, in areas of gun control, which every evil regime that ever comes to power has to get rid of guns. So what happens is the big threats, they call them terrorists, are the people that insist on keeping their guns because you're not playing along. Well, you know, if I happen to be wrong about pre-trib rapture and I, and I am in this time, I will be one who certainly does not play along. And, and nor am I going to turn my guns in. Um, I'll, I'll turn my bullets in, one at a time. But, <laughs> but see, and that's the believers in those days. You know, the, the believers in, in the tribulation period are going to be killed because they are the biggest threat to the illusion of peace that's trying to be propagated and pitched and sold to the world. And so they are there, but it's okay. The existence of martyrs means the existence of salvation, even during this dark time. And finally, the sixth seal. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Now these are cosmic disturbances, earthquakes, in massive, unprecedented ways. Now we just saw this huge earthquake in Japan, and it does, between the earthquake and the tsunami and potential of nuclear fallout and things like that, they're predicting you know, that 100,000 people may be killed from it. But in 04, the Indonesian earthquake and tsunami that followed, there were almost four times that many people that died. Disasters, when they happen, they have dire consequences. Now, 
You might go, but how in the world is that people's fault? Well, I'm not sure, but if it's tied in somehow with the fall, if the world was created to last forever, and yet when Satan was cast to earth, all of a sudden everything on the earth began to deteriorate, which it definitely seems to be the case, earthquakes are just simply indicators of one piece of a fault going off, a couple of tectonic plates getting out of sync. There are scientists who believe that someday what's going to happen is all the tectonic plates are going to shift and the entire world is going to be shaken. And if that happens, it wasn't because that was designed into the world. It's because when people chose to sin, then the world was affected because this is our place and we've invited Satan to kind of run it for us a lot of times. And so even these natural disasters that are happening, and when it happens, when that would bring about unprecedented volcanic activity, which you remember even from Mount St. Helens, what volcanic activity does to the sun and the moon and their appearances, it just looks like that. Now it says stars will be cast to earth like figs falling out of a tree. You go... Oh, come on, a star can't even fit on the earth. How could that be? Well, the Greek word there for stars doesn't just refer to what we call stars, like our sun, but the word there refers to any object that's out in space. So a meteorite shower hitting the earth, an asteroid coming and crashing into the earth would all fit this description. And then the heavens being rolled back like a scroll, I don't know what that language indicates, but I'll tell you one thing, if you've ever looked at a, at a nuclear blast and what that mushroom cloud looks like, how would you describe that if you were a first century you know, fisherman? Boy, it looks like the sky is just being rolled up. And so could be an indication of that. Now, you can imagine with every nut that's out there who has nuclear capabilities now, pretty much anyone who can Google can, can make an atomic weapon, the potential is great of us destroying our planet with a nuclear holocaust. There are psycho countries that threaten to do it all the time and more trying to add themselves all the time. Now, interestingly, this isn't the end. And so this isn't something that will destroy the world because this is only the beginning of this tribulation period. It's going to get way worse than this. But here again, as God says, you know what, I'm going to take my hands off the earth and I'm going to let happen what you have created it. You know, you've, you've done this and made this happen. The book of Colossians says that Jesus holds everything together. In him all things consist. So if he is the one who is preventing these kinds of major disasters, then if he just takes his hands away, it's going to happen what has been happening, what has been potentially happening since Genesis chapter 3, the whole world is going to be falling apart. And again, when we see what happens in minuscule catastrophes like we've seen, now kick that up a notch, you can easily see how the fourth of the world could be killed just easily. And again, desperation happens. Now in this case, it's you know, three and a half years or so, roughly, into the reign of this great charismatic leader. It's really hard when you come into office promising peace. You're only going to win so many Nobel Prizes before, before people start expecting you to actually bring some peace. 
And so it's interesting because of, and I'm not saying that Obama's the Antichrist. I don't believe he is at all. But what I'm saying is you can see how a leader, leader could come into power and by three and a half years, it's hard to pitch what you've been pitching. And that's why we see the Antichrist change drastically, and we'll see that later in the book when he declares himself to be God. He comes in and defiles the temple, and now, it's, now it really unloads. Now things get even worse. But at this point, this happens, and when it's happening, verse 15, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand. I like that phrase, the wrath of the lamb. They're like, gee, I always thought Jesus was so gentle. And man, when this, when this lamb gets going, it's, it's bad. But notice that all these people, from slaves to free to royalty, rich and poor, they're all hiding under rocks, going, I would rather die than to see the face of the one who sits on the throne. Isn't that weird? Don't you think that when all of this happens, and they clearly had heard the predictions of Scripture. They clearly understood what was going on because their last thing is, the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? So they're like, oh shoot, it's happening just like Hal Lindsey used to say it would happen. And Chuck Smith, it's happened like those goofy Christian movies that they made about it. It's hard. Oh, this is it. And they don't say, uh, God... Sorry about that. Um, is it too late to maybe turn to you? No, because some people, I don't care what happens to them, they will never admit that they're wrong. They will always insist on doing it their way no matter what happens. But gloriously through this time, a bunch of people are going to get the message and just go, you know what? I tap out. I give up. You know, it's funny in fighting you can just tap your hand and they'll release a hold and let you up. But there are some people who, I've seen guys who just, I won't tap no matter what. I'd rather have a broken arm. So they get a broken arm. And that's what the world is like. That's what pride is like. It's like, you know what? I would rather have rocks fall on me than for me to admit I'm wrong. And that's the response of the world when they get it their way. And so all of this, it's just warming up. And, and he's going to go ahead. We're going to next week see about the sealed 144,000 other people who get saved. We don't ever want to forget a ton of people get saved during this time. It's not just a dark time. If you're someone that got saved, it's a great time, just like for you. If you went through the darkest time of your life and it's what brought you to Jesus, you look back and go, I wouldn't want to repeat it, but boy, was it worth it. Because ultimately, when you see what your selfishness will get you, it'll break you. And you'll realize, I don't want that. I don't want what I want. I want what he wants. And that's the real takeaway, and that's the real message of this. And the question for each of us, and we have to ask, answer this question every day of our lives. Do you want to have it your way, or do you want to do it God's way? Because 
If you need a reminder, read chapter 6 and see what happens when God says, okay, have it your way. The alternative is to say, no, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As Jesus said to the Father, not my will, but thine be done. And when we choose to let him call the shots and we want to do it his way rather than trying to get him to do it our way, which is what an awful lot of our prayers are about if we were honest with ourselves, we make the choice of destruction. We make the choice that ultimately will be made once and finally by a planet of people who reject Jesus Christ. You'll see where that gets you. You see the kind of destruction and devastation that results. And in a microcosm, in smaller ways, each one of us face that same kind of judgment in littler ways. Every day I decide to live my way. Like Frank Sinatra used to sing pridefully, I did it my way. You can do that, but you'll end up under a rock somewhere wishing it would fall on you. You'll end up wishing you were dead rather than to face the consequences of your prideful choice. And you probably won't even then be smart enough to change your mind because those kinds of habits, those selfish habits, get ingrained in us. So every day we can choose. Do you want to live ultimately in Revelation 6? Or do you want to be one of those who's there in heaven watching the proceedings and going, that could have been me, but I once made a decision to do it his way instead. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word and for this warning, this reminder of what's going to happen. Please show us when it's happening in our lives because it is. On a day-to-day basis, there are many times when we are insisting on having it our way Lord, help us to realize as we do that what we're doing and the kind of damage that's going to ensue. Thank you for making it possible for us to escape all this. Thank you for giving deliverance, not just to us, but even those people who better late than never turn to you during the tribulation period. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and that that's what you've wanted to do all along. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand. And... uh,